Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be reading from there in a moment. Um, so just to recap a little bit, um, last week we talked about the fact that we've got two uh, exciting services coming up. Uh, the first one, uh, as Kerry already mentioned, is uh, next weekend, which is going to be very exciting. Um, 13 people from Africa, Asia, Europe, um, South America, all over the world coming and sharing some really inspiring stories. For me, it's the most inspiring Sunday service of the year because I get to see it every year, but for most of you, it'll be the first time. So we'd love you to come along. There's a potluck, uh, which Kerry's already mentioned, and we have, where would the little slips be, uh, Kerry? So over there, there'll be some little slips. If you want to bring something, then feel free to do that. Um, just feel on the heart to say to Howard, where's Howard? Oh, he's just helping with the... Okay, I'll tell Howard later. I feel the Lord would tell him he needs to bring double the briscuits. Um, just on the heart, just feel that. Um, it was pretty good. And I think Jay brought something pretty incredible last week as well. So if you can bring stuff, that's great. If you can't, don't worry about it. It's not a problem. The week after that, we've got um, our mother in Sunday. Um, so uh, I'm going to be sharing again, actually, on that Sunday, um, some of the stories... Um, from my mother and what she taught me about God's love. There are a couple of twists to the tale. Um, so it's an interesting story, I think, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Feel free to bring family. It'd be a great place for you to come next Sunday. Got some gifts for the mothers and, and just actually for all the ladies in the church next uh, week. So it's going to be great. So now what we said last week is after these two services, we're going to be looking at a theme about spiritual maturity. So um, for me, I think in the Bible, there are lots of things that God says we can do that I think, really? It seems a bit idealistic, almost as though God's got a, a carrot on a stick saying, you know, if you do this, I'll do this for you. And I'm thinking, oh, it seems a bit idealistic. Um, but actually, there's no, no carrot on the end of a stick. God, everything in the Bible that God says about you uh, can happen, is true, is real, and it's exciting. So we're going to look at how do we attain this kind of spiritual maturity, do some of the things that seem like they're just for the superheroes in the Bible. So last week and this week, we started to look at how we learn. And uh, last week, we looked at how we learn. Specifically, we went through uh, what are called uh, learning cycles, which actually are just in life, really, but we, we talked about the spiritual um, benefits of them. So let me just see if this is working. Um, for some reason, it's, uh, there we go. Um, so we talked about this uh, phrase, the sages saw the health of their religion in having a theology without being aware of it. So we talked about how, how over a process and time, we can get to a place where some of the things that seem quite difficult just become natural to us. So actually, we're just doing things that God has called us to do without even thinking about it and how we would get there. So we, we talked about how we learn last week. This week, uh, we're going to look at uh, where we stop learning. So in a few minutes, I'm going to share four different places that we can get stuck at where we stop learning and some really simple ideas about what we can do to get beyond them. So we're going to, uh, first of all, start at Hebrews chapter 5. So if you've got that, if you've got it on your phone uh, or you brought your Bible with you, we're going to start at verse 7. I'm going to read this together. So during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, low he was, he learnt obedience from what he suffered. 
And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, lo, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. But anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. By constant use have trained themselves to be spiritually mature and distinguish between good and evil. This ties into last week, for those of you who are here, and we talked about renewing of our mind that we can test and approve God's will. We don't need someone to tell us what it is. Uh, we can test and approve it for ourselves. That we can train ourselves. So Saints Church is here to equip you for works of service. Uh, we as leaders are not here to be paid by you to do it for you. We are here to equip us for works of service because there are amazing things that God can do in and through you, which I'm excited about. So for us as a church, it's great to see us beginning to grow, but we're, we're not really taught necessarily about our seating capacity, but our sending capacity. What is our capacity to encourage people to make a difference in our city, in our community, in, in our world. So how do we go about that? How do we go around training ourselves? So um, again, it's a little bit different this morning. I'm just going to go through four little kind of like uh, sections, but hopefully they're going to be helpful to you. So this is something I learned years ago and really kind of encouraged me to, to think uh, through some of this stuff. One of the main parts of this passage that freaks me out a little bit is this little thought. Son, low he was, he learned obedience. I just can't get my mind around sometimes the fact that Jesus learnt obedience. That even Jesus, even Jesus learnt through humility and his suffering, obedience, even death to a cross. The fact that even Jesus learnt. Uh, one day we'll talk about all the different ways that Jesus learnt how to teach and who Jesus learned to teach from. Because I think for many of us, we just think he just kind of landed on the planet and knew everything. But actually, Jesus learned everything we go through, Jesus went through, including the learning process. So I love this. If he had to learn, how much do I have to learn? If he had to learn, how much do we have to learn about obedience and, and what can we learn? And, and where do we get stuck in getting to that place that God has for us? So um, again, I'm having a little bit of trouble. There we go. Um, so the first uh, stage of learning, they say, this is not like the Bible necessarily. This is just life. And last week we talked about how um, Jesus didn't come just to give abundant religion, but abundant life. So uh, the first stage of learning uh, is to do something. The reality is we don't really start learning until we do something. And um, th there are certain phrases that are common now in Christian culture that sound wonderful but me being the abusive type of a person, which is why we need David, I sometimes like to challenge. So one of them is, we're not human doings, we're human beings. Anybody ever heard that? Well, it's kind of nice and twee, but the reality is God's called us to do stuff. 
And God's put gifts and abilities and a call on every one of our lives to do stuff. And, and probably most of us are doing things. And learning doesn't start until we uh, do stuff. In fact, I'll let you into a little bit of a secret. A few years ago, uh, I was asked to help start a church in this city uh, with some other people. And uh, I said no. And, and the reason I said no, and the reason I said yes when I was talking to, to Bob and Howard, was to be honest, Bob and Howard's track record. Uh, the older I'm getting, mid-30s, the older I'm getting... <laughs> Well, that was just rude. Uh, the older I'm getting now, the more I stop listening to people. I know that sounds crazy. And I start watching people. I've learned to listen less and watch more. And um, so a few years ago, um, some friends and I said, well, should we start a church? And, and knowing them, as amazing as they were, I thought they don't know yet what it's like to build something and the perseverance it takes and what it means to pioneer something from scratch. I've done it over the last 30 years. I know how difficult it is just to take that first step and to persevere. Because faith is not in the stepping out. We think, oh, it's faith is when we step out. It's not. Faith is in the waiting. Faith is after you've stepped out and nothing's happened yet. And you've got all these promises that you feel God's given you, all these thoughts of what's going to happen. But actually, all you're seeing is like the dust blow and the tumbleweed. And it's kind of like awkward. Because you're kind of feeling like, well, wasn't God supposed to do something? And when I got to know uh, Bob and Howard and, and Yvonne and Kerry, what I saw were people who knew how to build, literally, and how to persevere. And not just to take a step of faith, but keep persevering. And the first step of learning anything, uh, I believe, is to actually do something. So for me, uh, because I tend to share my faith a lot, and that's a lot about what I do, stepping out and sharing our faith the first time. So forgive me for telling this story again, um, but the first time I ever got up public speaking, I remember the first time I was introduced public speaking and I'd learned what I was going to say parrot fashion. And what I'd learned to say was, hello, my name is Paul Gibbs and I'm the link man for the Message Trust. That was my little line. And it started me off this two minute talk that I'd memorized word for word. But the problem was when somebody introduced me, they said, hi, this is Paul Gibbs and he's the link man for the Message Trust. <laughs> So I got up and I said, hello, my name's Paul Gibbs, I'm the link, and everybody laughed like that. And I thought, okay, so and it confused me, so I had to start again. Hello, my name is Paul Gibbs, and everybody laughed again. And I had to say the, word, the words, hello, my name is Paul Gibbs, and I'm the link man from the Message Trust six times. So I know it can be really awkward to begin to do something. But, you, but the first stage is doing something, isn't it? Now, some people get stuck at this stage. You know these people, maybe they're you. They're always doing something, but nothing seems to work. They're always busy, and quite often, if you're stuck at activists, you're the kind of person, you do this for a little bit, then you do this for a little bit, and then you're over here doing this for a little bit, and you never actually stop to think, actually, is anything being built in my life and in the life of others? And sometimes we kind of get into that trap. You know, I've known people who are constantly dating the wrong person. So they're always dating, always being let down, never stopping to ask, why? Why is this happening? And the choices I'm making, good choices. But some stop activists, they just like to keep busy. And as long as they're doing things, they feel as though they're achieving things. But actually, we're not. Just being busy isn't enough. God's got more for you than just being busy. God has success for you. God has blessings for you. 
And God has rewards for you. But if all we're doing as a church or as individuals is just doing stuff, then maybe it's not enough to do the same things the same way. So um, there's another next level, you could say, and it's to reflect. And, And this is where we stop and we take time to reflect and ask that awkward question, did it work? Did it work? Now, this is going to be important as we go forward over the coming weeks, talking about what we're doing and talking about what God is saying to us. But did it work? And sometimes um, I think Christians are guilty of stuff that the non-Christians aren't as guilty at. So let me just tell you a little story I don't think I've told before. It's uh, like a little parable. Um, So what could you compare this to? It's like a father who wanted to teach his son archery. So he took his son to a forest and he took some paint and he drew a a target around a tree. And he said to his son, I want you to shoot an arrow at that tree. I want you to start trying. I'm going to go and make some sandwiches. I'll come back. So while he goes to make some sandwiches, being a typical lad, he left his little boy with a bow and arrow and his bow, uh, the, the, the little lad shot the arrow, missed the tree completely, hit a completely different tree. So what did he decide to do? He picked up the paint and the brush He went to the tree and he painted a target around the arrow. And when his dad came back, he said, Dad, look, I hit the target. Now, as funny as that is, I think we do that all the time. So we have these goals and aims and then we fail. And then we say things like, well, maybe that was God's plan all along. You know, because I'm involved in ministry. We put on, like the one thing Christians are good at is events. And we tend to figure stuff out by numbers. So we put on an event and we aim for wherever a thousand people this event and 50 people turn up and we say things like, well, well maybe just the 50 that God wanted to hear the gospel were there. Well, maybe we just messed up. Maybe we just didn't do it as well as we could have done it. And so sometimes we have to stop and we have to reflect. Uh, the person who's constantly dating has to reflect and say, is this what God has for me? Is this the best God has for me? Is this dating these kind of people? Is this really leading to what God's plan is for my life? And, and failure isn't really a problem because it happens to all of us. The problem is, of course, when we stop trying. So sometimes I share my faith, but I've begun to notice that some people listen and sometimes people don't listen. Some people enjoy and want to talk. And some people, when I share my faith, shut down entirely. And they just don't want to know. I remember being on a plane once, having a great conversation with somebody. And then they said to me, what do you do as a living? And I said, well, I'm kind of like a minister. And they were really interested until they realized I wasn't talking about a government minister. I was a church minister. And when I told them I was a church minister, they literally stopped talking to me. They literally refused to talk to me. So some of you have been in those situations where you share your faith and you have some great conversations and you don't. Sometimes it goes wrong. But some people stop even here at Reflector. Some will skip uh, from this. Some will um, just continue to reflect, but they won't ask, what's the pattern? What's the pattern here? So some people will think this worked or this didn't work. And all they figured out is how to do that exact same thing again a little bit better. But they've not understood the principles that God has to teach us. Uh, And I believe God wants to teach us how to think, not simply what to think. If we're going to be spiritually mature, we need 
understanding of God's kingdom principles, not simply what to do in this situation and what to do in that situation. And God has this divine principles to teach us and help us. So sometimes when you get stuck at reflector, kind of people who get stuck at reflector are the kind of people who say, try that, didn't work. Try that, didn't work. And maybe it didn't. There are lots of things I've tried that have not worked, but I don't get stuck there. So the next level, the next part uh, we would say and, and people would say of, of learning is a theorist. And a theorist, you ask the question why and you make sense of it. You look for patterns that lead to principles. Patterns that lead to principles. Why did it work? Why did it fail? Remember in Hebrews it said this, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear for you because you've no longer tried to understand. So what are the principles and what are the patterns? What connects the things that worked? What joins them all together that are different from the things that don't work? Here's what I've learned when it comes to sharing my faith. I've learned that questions were better than instructions. Questions were better than instructions. Um, so I, I have um, one brother, a really great guy, uh, lives in France. And um, um, Phil got uh, involved when he was younger with what my pastor calls a true cult. So we've all heard of false cults. So a false cult has false teaching and cultic behavior. You know, if you're not part of their gang, then you're not really saved, that kind of thing. Um, true cults have generally good teaching, but cultic behavior. So he got involved in a church that generally, if you looked at what they believed, you'd say, yeah, fair enough. But the way they behaved was, unless you went to their specific church, you weren't really a Christian. And it was very intense and, and it wasn't some good stuff. So eventually he just completely went away from God. And uh, he would now say he's an atheist, but I don't think he is. And um, so last time I was with him, we were in France together. And uh, we were just chatting through our faith. He said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe there's a God. And I said to him, you know what, Phil? I think maybe you do. And we had this argument. Not a bad argument. We had this argument about it. And um, what I've learned is sometimes questions are the best things to do rather than just telling people stuff. So I said, can I ask you a question? And I asked it him and in front of his wife. Uh, and I said, if um, your children, he has two, two children, if, if your children were sick, be honest with me, would you pray? And he went, uh, and his wife went, you know you would, Phil. <laughs> you know you would. So I don't think he's an atheist. And after saying that, I just asked the question, but you learn that stuff, don't you, by going through the process of, of admitting that I'm not doing it right, and maybe there's a way I can do it better, and learning principles. So my, my question for you might be, what is it that God's calling you to be, but also what is God calling you to do? Uh, he's looking for people who will do stuff for him. So it's about who we are, and that's where it comes out of, obviously. But there are things that God has for you, perhaps in this community. The reason we're asking David uh, to come on is not because we had a conversation. He said, I'm really passionate about caring for people. Everybody tells me that. The only person I don't know who says, I'm really passionate about caring for people. It's probably me. <laughs> Everybody else says to me, I'm really passionate about caring for people. But what we've seen, we've seen him do it. I've seen him do it. You know, he had a conversation. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. We had a conversation recently with uh, um, someone at the school who described him as the school's 
spiritual shepherd. He, he's doing it, a lot of it invisibly, but he's doing it. And um, there are things that God are calling you to do in our community, in our city. And uh, he has principles for us. Uh, and we'll do it better if we ask the question, why? But some stop at theorists. Some just like to be theorists. Um, some know what they need to do differently, but they just don't want to do it. None of you have ever been stuck there. Um, so uh, I have a pastor friend back in England who um, gets really frustrated, bless him, because he, um, he loves to teach and he loves to study, but he knows that the church won't grow and he can't touch the community unless he starts to coach leaders and get involved. And he, says to me, he said to me all the time over the years, he said, it's just annoying. He said, the Christians, I should just be able to get up on a Sunday, preach the Bible, and they should just do it. He says, but I know they don't. I know I need to spend time coaching and discipling, but I just want to spend time in my study. So he knows why. He just don't want to do it. Anybody else been in that situation? You, you kind of know, I know why this isn't working. I know what I have to do differently. I just don't want to do it. Uh, but the rewards for those of us who grow and continue moving are phenomenal. We can test and plea, test and uh, understand what God's will is. We have solid milk, and God can help us distinguish between good and evil. Great rewards for those of us who persevere um, through all that, who take the risk and pay the price. Um, for people who are stuck here, they may have tried something, realized it didn't work, started to think outside of the box, but left those ideas on the shelf, hoping someone else will do it instead. Finally, or is it? Pragmatist. These people ask, how can I do it better? Or how can I do it differently? What do I need to change? How must I first change? What must be done differently? What do I need to put into practice that I've not put into the practice in the past? How should I implement these new theories? The Bible says, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. So one of the things I'm thinking, I'm actually writing a book right now, I'm thinking about mission. And I'm thinking, do we as the church, with a capital C, need to do things differently? So my little um, litmus test is always Jesus. What did Jesus do? So the question I'm asking right now is this. It's a bit of a big question. Why is it that we spend all our time, energy, and money on inviting people when Jesus spent all of his getting himself invited? Have you ever thought about that? So much energy of the church is spent on putting on events and inviting people. But if you look at Jesus' life, it just occurred to me one day, he spent most of his time getting himself invited. He even sometimes explicitly, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, I'm coming to your house tonight. Howard, put on the brisket, I'm coming to your house. You know, how do you get, how do you get yourself invited? It's a big question, I think, for the church to ask, how do we do things differently? Because if we do things differently, maybe we'll see greater results. But sometimes we're so stuck in the ways that we do stuff. What is it that God's calling you to do differently? What might the rewards be? 
that God has for us. So again, right now, all I'm doing is preparing us for a series we're going to be doing after a couple of weeks' time. But I think it's good for us just to be preparing our hearts and asking these questions. Am I stuck at any of those levels? Am I always doing? But actually, I don't really see the kind of results for all my hard work and all my effort. Do I need to stop and reflect? And how do I do that? Maybe you stop at a reflector. Maybe you're, you're, yeah, I know I've learned how not to do this and how not to do that, but I've not really got any principles yet for life. Or maybe you're stuck at theorists. Yeah, I, I, I know now. I've been a Christian for a long time. I know there's just things I just don't want to do. I just don't want to do it. Here's the question. Can you be stuck at pragmatist? What do you think? Can you be stuck at pragmatist? I'm not going to do a vote. Yes or no? If yes, what would it look like? Can I make a suggestion? Yes, you can. And the reason you can be stuck at pragmatist is because you can be an expert at something and not want to do something new. Um, because it's scary. Do you know, the most scariest I've ever been in ministry was not in South America when I stood in front of 100,000 people and spoke. It's not when I've stood in front of leaders and people I really respect. The scariest I've ever been in my life almost, certainly in ministry, was in the late 80s when I stood, in fact, I sat down in a class, an assembly full of infants in a new school. So by then, I'd been three or four years doing schools work on my own, going into high schools and speaking the gospel in, in England, found a way of getting myself invited and reaching about 10,000 students. And one day I got invited to a, a, an infant school. And I thought I'd never spoken to like little children ever before in my life. I didn't know how to do it. I had nobody to train me how to do it. So I, I'd literally didn't know how to do it. I had 15 minutes with all like, like four, five, six-year-olds. And I'm thinking, how do I do this without making them cry? Because normally I make adults cry. If, how do I do it? Make the, gonna be, so I thought, they like puppets. So in those days, I had literally no money. We used to pray for like $5, $10 to come through to put money in, in the car. Why is that to walk? I used to have to walk to the schools most of the time. So I had no money. So I need a puppet, but I can't do ventriloquism. I laugh because I think about what I did. So... I thought, so I said to somebody, has anybody got a puppet? And a lady said, I don't have a puppet in the church. She says, I've got a doll. She says, and um, it's got a plastic head with a, a permanent smile on it. And it's a girl with lots of pink hair. So I thought, okay, so I can't, it's going to be awkward if I put my hand up like the back of a little girl doll. That's not going to work. So I said, well, can you shave the hair and make a Mohican? She said, yeah. She said, I've got this little leather jacket from like the kids store. So she put this little leather jacket on. And I had this pink mohican. It was the cutest thing you've ever seen in its life. I called it Cedric Saggybottom. I couldn't do ventriloquism. So I, what I did was it had a, a pullover, a little pullover, and I cut out one of the arms. One was stuffed and one I put out its arm so I could put my hand in there. So I'd, I'd hold him like this and have my hand in there. And all he could do was like cry or laugh. Or it was like four actions. And I was thinking, this is a good idea. This will work. And I remember the most terrified I was in my life was sitting down in that assembly and 300 little children are walking in. I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I've got a suitcase. I can't do ventriloquism. And in that bag is basically a little plastic transvestite. And I'm going to do some kind of assembly with 300. It freaked the life out of me because it was completely out of my comfort zone. And I thought, this is going to go either really, really bad 
or absolutely terribly. There's just two ways this is going to go. And actually, I actually went quite well. In fact, one of the little kids came up to me afterwards. I must have been convinced because I sat down. One, as they were filing out, this little girl went to a teacher, and they would obviously talk about me, and the teacher said yes, so she walked up to me. And she, she went over there, and she put a hand on my knee, and she went, you know he's not real, don't you? That's what she said to me. Come on, this will do. This will do. But the fact is, we can get stuck at being an expert, can't we? And I think for me, uh, I want to finish now, but I think for me, the church as the church can get stuck at being expert. We're expert at putting events on. There are lots of churches that are absolutely expert now at gathering people who pay money called a tithe, and we use that money to put more events on. And the question we're asking at Saints is, how do we reverse, how do we do it differently? How does, how does this become what the Bible says in Ephesians, where the leaders equip the saints for works of service. Look, we lead, we demonstrate, but how do we equip? Because in you are amazing visions, amazing visions and dreams. Trust me, I know. There are visions, there are dreams, there are ideas that you don't even realize right now God's put on your mind. You just think you've just thought it up. You're not that clever. How do we help you? What does that look like if we could motivate everybody to advance the kingdom of God? That excites me. Let me finish with this, um, this verse. I want to just read out some verses just to encourage you with something as we finish. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Another passage says he, looked, he moved resolutely towards the cross. In other words, he thought about it. He made up his mind. He thought, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Jesus is uncompromising uncompromising in so many areas, Uncom uncompromising in his attitude towards those who consider to be his followers. He said, he who is not with me is against me, and who does not gather with me scatters. Uncompromising in his expectations of his disciples. Jesus said to them that the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Uncompromising in his teaching. From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him, but he kept on teaching. Uncompromising concerning those he would speak up for. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when it comes to his Father's glory with the holy angels. Uncompromising when accused. Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. And finally, uncompromising in his teaching on forgiveness. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins also. So take notes and be encouraged. When all hell was thrown at Jesus, he was uncompromising in going to the cross for you and me. Nothing would deter him going through this process. He humbled himself and he learned obedience through his suffering, even to death on the cross. So when we decide to do something for him, he is by the side of us and will never give up helping us. He's with you. He's with me. He's in this with us. He will not compromise. He's made promises to you and he will stick to them until they reach their final destination. I'm encouraged by that. So I don't want to get stuck along the route. So I know this message is a little bit odd because we're not talking about what these things God's calling us to. But I want us just to spend the next couple of weeks maybe just in your mind, am I stuck at one of those areas? 
And then as we go forward, we'll talk about how we can get unstuck and how we can achieve the thing that God has put on, on your hearts and my heart and our hearts. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, um, Lord, you know, I find it so um, hard to get my mind around the fact that you learnt obedience even to the cross. Uh, and you learnt through your sufferings. And Lord, there are many of us in this room who are suffering even now. Some of us have come with, Lord, so many issues and, and we're talking about dreams and, and we're so just can't even get beyond just the problems we're facing right now and the difficulties. So I pray, Lord, for us, you will show us a way forward. I pray, Lord, you will show us, each and every one of us, a way beyond the issues and the concerns that bog us down. Help us reflect on, on this passage in Hebrews and Philippians. Help us to figure out, Lord, how we can move forward and attain the things that you have for us to do and, and the rewards you have for us as well, Lord. Lord, we do pray for the next couple of weeks as uh, Mothering Sunday and our celebration of the missionaries. God, we pray that both services will inspire us um, and help the clarity of your purpose for our lives come into focus, we pray. In your name we ask it. Amen.